Turn, if you will, this morning back to the Gospel of Luke. After many weeks away, we pick up where we were in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We'll look this morning at verses 20 down through uh, 37, which is the end of the chapter. As we read through the various gospel accounts, the most prominent theme in the teaching of Jesus is the coming of the kingdom of God. So I ask you, has the kingdom of God come? Or do we still wait for its appearing? I know you're on to me. You've heard that kind of question before. The answer is yes, both. God's kingdom has already come, but we wait for its full unveiling, which we have not yet seen. The kingdom is already and not yet. Now, unless you think I made up that answer, this morning we learned from Luke's gospel that that already but not yet is Jesus' position on the kingdom of God. Let me read it. Luke 17, verse 20. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one who is in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that day, two, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? They ask. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. There we end our reading. This text has two parts. Verses 21 and 22, uh, Jesus addresses uh, the Pharisees. And then in verses 22 to, 20, to 37, Jesus addresses his disciples. Two distinct groups being addressed, two distinct messages. Now that, that division is rather lopsided, just a very few verses for the first and then quite a number of verses for the second. But it still gives us two distinct parts addressed to two different groups. And therein we have two points to consider. 
The first is this. The kingdom of God has appeared. Don't miss it. The kingdom of God has appeared. Don't miss it. In some circles, there's a fascination with identifying and interpreting the signs of the times, as they're called. When will God's kingdom come? Is the time getting close? Some Christians especially watch events in the Middle East, looking for signs that ancient prophecies of the kingdom are about to be fulfilled. Now that's actually kind of what the Pharisees did in Jesus' day. It was not true of the Sadducees. You see, the Sadducees, that other group, besides the Pharisees, the Sadducees were the liberals of the day. They they didn't really believe in the supernatural very much. They looked for God's kingdom in political uh, alliances with the Romans. But the Pharisees believed in the supernatural, and and they had developed elaborate views concerning the Messiah's appearing. So in our text, they asked Jesus about his views. When will the kingdom of God come? But Jesus did not give them the answer they expected. Instead, he gave an answer which challenged their presuppositions and also challenges much of today's Christian fascination with eschatology. Jesus said the kingdom of God has already appeared. Don't you miss it. First, Jesus denies that their whole scheme of looking for signs of Messiah's coming. That's not how the kingdom appears. It's not an event that, that can be measured and predicted like weather forecasting or something. It's not like that. Sure, there were prophecies about Messiah's coming, but the Pharisees had already missed them all. Messiah Jesus came into their midst and they didn't recognize him, even while they were busy looking for signs of his coming. But then Jesus goes even further. He says, the kingdom of God is already in your midst. Now, Jesus' statement requires a bit of careful thought here. It can be translated, the kingdom of God is within you. That's what we read in the NIV. The kingdom of God is within you. Um, But it can also be translated, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Other translations translate that way. The English Standard Version, for example, the New American Standard Version. Uh, Many have seized on the reading, on this first reading, within you, and made God's kingdom a a rather subjective thing that is in my heart. The kingdom of God is in my heart. But that can't be the correct reading here. For the you is not singular, in my heart, in your heart. The U is plural. Everyone. And more importantly, this is addressed to the Pharisees who were rejecting Jesus' kingdom. Even if it were a subjective internal kingdom, it's certainly not in the hearts of the Pharisees who have no time for Jesus. That reading cannot be the correct one. As Fred Craddock writes, the kingdom of God is within you is not related to the issue of a correct rendering of the text, but rather to the preference of a culture heavily psychologized 
whose premiums are on self-realization and the therapeutic values of religion. That's why some people like the idea the kingdom of God is within you. What Jesus actually means, though, is the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God was in their midst because the king was in their midst. And when the king is in your midst, the kingdom of God has begun in some sense. Indeed, the signs of the kingdom that God provided were there. They were just being ignored. The blind were being made to see. The lame were being made to walk. The deaf were being made to hear. The kingdom of God had already appeared. They just missed it. They did not have eyes to see what was happening right under their noses. They were busy with their systems of doctrine and their well-tuned expectations while God advanced his kingdom openly but unnoticed by them. And this truth, folks, is a warning to us not to miss the advance of God's kingdom in our day. For the kingdom of God does continue to advance, though it often goes unnoticed. The church continues to grow significantly, not so much in Western nations where it seems to be in steady decline, not so much in traditional denominations which often seem gridlocked and unable to do anything, but in multiplying house churches and church plants in Africa and in China and in India and in Southeast Asia. According to the U.S. Center for World Mission, in AD 100, one of 360 people in the world were active believers. One of 360. In 2010, it's one of every 7.3 people is a Christian. According to them, in AD 100, there was one Christian church for every 12 unreached people groups in the world. One church for every 12 groups of people, huge cultural groups unreached with the gospel. In 2010, there are 1,000 congregations for every one unreached people group in the world. The advance of the kingdom of God is still very real in the world today. In fact, the kingdom advances right here in our midst, silently, but certainly. Every time the gospel is proclaimed, the kingdom advances. Every time a sinner repents and believes in Jesus, the kingdom of God is built. Every time God's will is given priority over our will, the king rules. Every time peace and righteousness is pursued, For Christ's sake, that's the kingdom work. Every time hardship is endured with grace, every time hope is affirmed because Jesus is alive and he reigns, the kingdom is expressed. Oh, it may not look very impressive. You won't won't see it on the evening news. It's not accompanied by all the fanfare of, of political events or sporting events. But the kingdom of God advances right on schedule today, right under our noses. For Jesus is alive and he reigns. He has sent his spirit to accomplish his work on the earth. 
And there is no greater power than that. Christ the King is working out every detail of his sovereign will in individual lives of believers and in the history of the world, which often seems chaotic to us. Make no mistake, God's kingdom is advancing, and it will advance, and it will stand forever when all the kingdoms of the world have crumbled to dust. Miraculous things were happening right in the midst of the Pharisees' world. God's king was openly doing his work, but their hearts were so blinded by unbelief that in spite of their great theological training, they missed what God was doing. God's kingdom has indeed appeared. Don't you miss it? That's what Jesus had to say to the Pharisees. But then he turns immediately and addresses his own disciples with another truth, which is the point, our second point. God's king will return. Expect it. God's king will return. Expect it. Many of today's Christians, like the Pharisees, have been too focused on future events, as we said. But many others in our day are just the opposite. They're totally unconcerned about what the future holds. The truth is, we live in a strange period in church history where the Christian faith is perceived to be mostly about the right now. The gospel is not proclaimed primarily as a hope for eternal life, but as a solution of my present discomfort and distress. People are drawn to God not out of fear of judgment that's coming, but by our need for spiritual therapy. The value of the gospel is measured, not as Paul speaks of it, by spiritual blessings in the heavenlies which we've been given. The value of the gospel is measured by our own health and our material prosperity today. So as soon as Jesus makes this point of what's called realized eschatology, of the already of the kingdom, he immediately addresses his disciples about the future hope, the not yet of the kingdom. He instructs them concerning the events surrounding his return and the consummation of the kingdom of God. God's king will return. So expect it. Watch for it. Prepare for it. Be ready for his appearing. Well, in verses 22 to 37, Jesus gives us quite a list of things about this future day. I think I've listed about six of them. Uh, He doesn't explain all in detail, but he tells us, he gives us a picture of the day of his return. Let me just go through and and, uh, uh, review what he says about it. First, according to verse 22, Jesus says, You will desire to see me, but you won't be able to. Here Jesus confirms that there will be a time of longing for his appearing. While the kingdom began at his first coming, we will have to wait for his return. Most immediately, according to verse 25, the disciples had to go through the time of his uh, suffering and death. 
And now as the rest of the New Testament tells us, we have to go through a time of sharing in his suffering as we wait faithfully for his return. No matter how much we long to see Jesus, we do not see him now like we will. We must wait. Second thing Jesus says in verse 23 is that when he comes, it will be unmistakable. The Pharisees were looking for signs. People still do. But when Jesus comes, you won't need to have any signs. You won't be able to miss it. Jesus says it will be like a flash of lightning that lights up the sky from one end to the other. So don't be deceived by people saying, oh, come over here. We've got this group and we all know about Messiah coming. We, we're going to be in the right place at the right time. Or come over here and Messiah is appearing over here. He says, don't be, don't be fooled. When he comes, when the Lord comes, you won't miss it. No one will miss it. People in our day talk about a secret rapture when the Lord comes and nobody notices that Christians are taken and nobody noticed it happened. This text says it's not going to happen that way. It will be unmistakable, unexpected, but unmistakable when the Lord appears. Then in verses 26 to 30, Jesus says that those not expecting his return are going to perish. It will be a day of sudden judgment on the wicked. He gives us two illustrations. It will be like the day of Noah. When the people were going about their business, Noah, that crazy man, was over there preaching about judgment coming. <laughs> people, what's this, a crazy man? It's been 120 years now. They were going about their business, and they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and marrying, right up until the day that the rain started and the flood came and they perished. Jesus says it'll be like the day of Lot. People living as they please in a city filled with wickedness doing whatever they wanted to do until suddenly judgment falls from heaven and destroys them. So the coming of Jesus, the day of the Son of Man, will be a day of sudden judgment upon those who thought it would never happen. Fourth thing, according to verses 31 to 33, that day will reveal what we treasure most. Jesus warns against turning back like Lot's wife. You remember Lot's wife? As they fled the city of Sodom, as the fire and brimstone were raining down on Sodom, Lot's wife just was so longing for her home, she turned back and was destroyed. Jesus warns against turning back. Although actually on the day of judgment, there will be no going back to get anything. Still that day will reveal what we treasure the most, as it did with Lot's wife. I suspect all of us have thought at some time, what if a fire broke out in my house? What would I grab on my way out the door? And I guess it would be probably our greatest material possessions, the family pictures, the computer. I don't know what you would grab. But, but, but let me ask another question. What would you grab if your husband or your son had been deployed to the war in Afghanistan and suddenly, unexpectedly, you see him walking up the driveway? What would you grab as you ran out the door? 
<laughs> you wouldn't grab anything. Because your treasure is what's coming up the driveway, not what's in your house. So the day of Jesus' coming will reveal who is losing their greatest treasure as judgment comes and who is gaining their greatest treasure as the Lord appears. But the day will reveal what we treasure most. So, fifth, according to verses 34 and 35, Jesus' return will be a day of great division. Jesus speaks of one being taken and the other being left. One being taken and the other being left. A division between people. Now the truth is, we don't know exactly which one is which here. Is the one taken to be with the Lord and while the other one is left? Or is one taken off to judgment while the other one is left? It's not certain, but it doesn't really matter. The point is that Jesus appearing will divide the human race. For some it will be a glorious day. For others it will be a terrifying day of judgment. Again, Jesus' coming is certain. We dare not ignore it. And finally, according to verse 37, we won't know where and when till it happens. The disciples want to know, where will this take place? So they ask Jesus, where, where? Where's this going to happen? And Jesus gives them the most obtuse answer. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. What is that about? I think what he's saying is, when it happens, it'll be clear to everyone where. Until then, you don't know for sure where or when. The picture Jesus paints in this whole passage of the day of his return is a powerful picture. We dare not ignore or dismiss it. Listen to Daryl Bach, who's a foremost scholar on Luke's gospel summarize this passage. He says, this is a grim image. With salvation comes separation from and judgment on those who have not followed after God. The focus is on the seriousness of his return for us all. The implication in light of the previous part of the passage is also clear. In Jesus, the kingdom is in our midst. We must respond to him. For the Son of Man comes to execute judgment on those who refuse to respond in faith. The day of the Son of Man will be a time, Bach says, the day of the Son of Man will be a time when you want to make sure you are already on his side. The king, the Lord Jesus, will certainly return, expect it, and prepare for that great day. You know, it's so easy for us to live in a kind of Christianity that ignores these things. We, we, we focus on Jesus making our life good, making our marriages exciting, making our children successful. But here Jesus presses his disciples, including us, to think about and prepare for the last day, the day of his glorious appearing. 
that day will be more awesome than anything we have ever seen. For those who live in expectation, faithfully pressing toward that day, it will be a day of unsurpassed glory. We will see Jesus as he is, and we will be received with him into glory forever. But for those who ignore him now, and ignore his promise to return in judgment, it will be a day of terror that dwarfs the worst tragedies of history. For on that day, our eternal fate will be sealed. No second chances. The unbelieving will be separated from God forever. We like to define true Christians as those who believe in Jesus. And that's true. But the New Testament also repeatedly defines true Christians as those who wait in expectation for his appearing. That's a different kind of faith than what we may be accustomed to thinking about. The king will return. Wait in hopeful expectation. Already? But not yet. You've heard me say it so many times. Today you hear Jesus talking in those terms. God's kingdom has already appeared. Don't miss it. But the king has not yet returned. But expect it. Professor Fred Craddock concludes his study with a comment about these two truths. Let me just conclude with this. He says, either view that denies the other breaks apart the kingdom formula. Already and not yet. In our midst and still to come. Has come and will come. Jesus' word to the Pharisees in verse 21 and 20 and 21. And his word to the disciples in verses 22 to 37. Join to teach us the complete formula concerning Christ's return. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for instruction in this area that is so... um, confusing and uh, about which there's so many different voices saying different things so much Lord we don't know and we won't know till you come but help us to listen to what you tell us and most of all help us to live Lord in light of the of Christ appearing and the beginning of your work in our midst and live in expectation for his return we ask in his name amen